0: you turn with me in your Bibles to Ruth chapter 3, we're going to read the first few verses this morning to verse 9. Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, that is Ruth, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, that she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled, turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would help us to receive the word of God, that you would help us to understand this uh, wonderful concept of a redeemer uh, for the poor, for the weak, uh, for all of humanity. Lord, we ask that you would continue to Give us insight into your word that the Spirit would fill us with confidence in the right interpretation of the word of God. And we pray as well, Lord, that you would help us to apply it, that it would not be merely an exercise and learning. It would not be merely something that goes in one ear and out the other, but rather something that we continue to meditate upon uh, and to live our lives by. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I was reading an article the other day about how difficult it is in this new technological age in order for a single person to find love, to find a partner, to find a spouse in life. Because most people convey this unreal image now on social media. A lot of young people actually believe these images to be true. And so they're looking for this perfect mate. They're looking for a perfect relationship that just doesn't exist, and when they can't seem to find that idea of perfection, they're disappointed. Then on the other hand, you have a number of young people who are airbrushing their own images online, and so when they actually meet someone face-to-face, they're too scared to be honest and vulnerable with who they really are, and so again, that leads to bad things in the end. And then on top of that, you have this... uh, wide array of people all over the world to choose from now for a spouse or a partner. If you remember back in the good old days, you might have had a handful of people to choose from, but now literally you could pick from anyone all over the world because you're connected through the internet. It's a different world in which we live in than it even was 20 years ago. For now the most popular way to find a spouse by statistics is through a dating app. It has surpassed finding a spouse through a coworker, through a friend, at school, or any other place. You're more likely now to find a spouse through a dating app. I find that fascinating. It, they, since they, they've only really been around for about 20 years, now they have taken the number one spot. But on the rise, though, I'm even more <laughs> baffled by uh, people are finding their marital love through an online gaming system. So in other words, uh, they're meeting one another through gaming. And there are, apparently there are now just as many gamer gals as there are gamer guys. And I'll have you know that uh, in our church alone, I have met two people who have found their love interest through online gaming. And in the second service, if you haven't uh, met them yet, there actually is one couple who found each other across the ocean. In an online game, uh, as, as uh, she might say, uh, found him across the pond. Uh, literally, they met each other on a game and then got married. Fascinating, the world that we live in. Certainly, they didn't have such opportunities in ancient times. Uh, Abraham's servant, if you remember, went to go find a spouse for, um, for Isaac. He had to travel 7,000 miles by camel. That's a long journey for a wife. Whereas the average Canaanite man who was living in that same area pretty much chose their next door neighbor or their closest relative. That's how they picked their spouse. It wasn't like Boaz could simply go on farmers-only dating sites to find his spouse. Nor could Ruth just join his online gaming network. No, it was much more difficult back then. They didn't have those types of resources. But on top of that, they didn't have the type of society now in which we live where an unmarried man and an unmarried woman could meet together in public and talk to one another. Uh, that would have been taboo in that culture at the time. So as a result, we see that what Naomi is trying to do is she's trying to get around that system, if you will, to find some way to have these two connect. Now, if you remember the last time we left Ruth and Naomi, uh, the elder matriarch was rejoicing in the Lord for all of the, the great blessings that he had given to her, even though she did not know it before. now she 's seeing god 's kindness through this redeemer that the Lord has brought to them through Boaz. And uh, you can sort of hear the excitement and hope in naomi 's voice toward the end of that first chapter, but our second chapter. but unfortunately, chapter two does not end with a shotgun wedding, as Naomi had hoped. Uh, Boaz had not even made a move. Uh, There was no action whatsoever. Many weeks had gone by, and now it's about seven weeks later. Uh, The harvest has already been reaped, and now they're to the point where they're threshing the grain. Now there is literally no more opportunity for Ruth to cross paths with Boaz. There's no reason for her to be going on his property anymore, and so now this is the final moment, the moment of truth, if you will, and so Naomi hatches this plan to sort of help heaven along, if you will. Now, we must keep in mind that this part of the narrative of, of Scripture is uh, just simply telling us what happened. Always remember that when you read narrative in Scripture, it's not telling us what we should do, But rather, what they did. There's a big difference, right? This is not a a teaching moment. Uh, This is not where we're to find our doctrine and how to find a spouse. Uh, Certainly, she's not to be commended in in how she went about it, and therefore, any women who are mothers in the congregation today don't take too copious of notes. It's not meant to be taken in that regard. Um, In fact, uh, I'd liken uh, Naomi's plan somewhat to Sarah's plan and encouraging Abraham to sleep with her handmaiden in order to to bear a child. Uh, Naomi seems to be desperate enough, again, to try something very risky in order to provide what she believes are the blessings of God. Uh, If you remember, her and Elimelech already left the promised land in search of grain. It seems as if she is willing to try just about anything to procure the blessings of God, even though she has sensed God is now favorable toward her she still seems to be acting, uh, taking things into her own hands. But before we get to the plan itself, it might be uh, a good question to ask, why doesn't Naomi simply tell Ruth just to be direct with Boaz? And just ask him, hey, you're, you're a redeemer. Will you take me on as, as, as your wife? Well, if Boaz was a close relative of Malin and Killian, and had the obligation to be her redeemer, then yes, I think Noaz would, uh, no- no- Naomi would have come right out and told her to do that. But instead, since he is not obligated to marry her, uh, she has to come up with some other plan. At least that's what she thinks. Because Boaz, first of all, is Ruth's boss, as well as her benefactor. It makes it very difficult for her to have this type of conversation with him. He's a man, she's a woman. Uh, Again, it would have been taboo for her to ask for his hand in marriage, as it still is in some ways in our culture today. And he's much older than she is. So again, that hinders them from having this type of conversation. Of course, there's no privacy in that regard. There would have been people all around. So, So again, Naomi's trying to find a way for Ruth to have this conversation with him Uh, literally in the the dark. It's not like Ruth can just stop her work all of a sudden in the fields, bow down on one knee and say, Boaz, will you marry me? It's not going to happen. And so that's why Naomi comes up with this crazy plan. The first thing she tells Ruth to do is to wash herself. Always good advice (laughs) in any age. Uh, ancient times especially uh, washing was not a daily occurrence keep in mind Ruth has just come back from the fields working all day Uh, it would be good to get rid of the dirt right Um, in the same way she tells her to um, anoint herself with either oil some type of perfume if you will and again good advice in addition to getting rid of the dirt getting rid of the stink they didn't have deodorant back then by all means anoint yourself in that regard simple common sense then she tells her to put on her cloak. Now, uh, that's where it gets a little bit more tricky because uh, the word that's used there can refer to all different types of garments. I'm not sure if she means to put on your outer garment in the sense of keeping warm or whether just simply changing your clothes out of your work clothes or actually putting on something that would be more attractive to the opposite sex. Again, uh, not bad advice no matter which, uh, which conclusion we come to. Uh, whether she uh, simply is putting on something that uh, makes herself attractive, um, but also uh, being prepared for unseasonable weather, if you will, right? Uh, Especially if you live in Michigan. You always have to know uh, what the options are. But then, fourthly, she tells Ruth something that that to me seemed more imprudent and somewhat foolhardy. Um, She tells her to go down to the threshing floor at night by herself. Now, it's important to understand that uh, most of the time threshing floors uh, were not placed within the, the city limits. They were not within the town. They're always outside of town in the country areas, usually on a high and rocky hill. So that way when they threw the grain up into the air, they had more wind to blow away the husk, to blow away the chaff so that the grain could fall down and fall down on this rocky area so it wouldn't fall into the soil and get contaminated. And so they wanted an area that was outside of town. Now, because of that, uh, these men would sleep outside of town as well. Because after they had threshed their grain, they wanted to protect it from thieves before they could uh, sell it uh, to their neighbors. And so these men would be very glad of heart. They just worked at least seven or so weeks, very hard labor, and now they're celebrating. You know, now they finally get to feast, they finally get to drink, and and, and celebrate uh, the harvest that God has brought unto them. So mainly this is a place for men. Uh, they had done most of this uh, threshing labor. And then finally uh, we see that it's also, because it's a place where mainly the men slept at night, uh, Scripture also tells us that it's a place that prostitutes often would visit as well. Now keep in mind, even though it's Israel, if this is during the time of the judges, and again, what do we learn from the judges? Men did what was right, in their own eyes, rather than the eyes of God. There's one passage in Hosea chapter 9, verse 1, that elaborates on this, uh, where the prophet is accusing Israel of being lewd. Uh, Literally, the Lord says, Rejoice not, for you have played the whore, forsaking your God. You have loved a prostitute's wages on all the threshing floors. So again, the assumption is that this is the place where there would be some indiscreet... Um, activity going on. Now, as you might can imagine, I think uh, it would hardly be the kind of place that a typical mother would send her daughter or daughter-in-law in in order to go find a spouse. But Naomi's desperate, and she's running out of time. And she's trying to make sure that uh, God gets the help that he needs in order to solidify this marriage. So she tells her, go to the threshing floor that night. And fifthly, she tells Ruth to not make herself known at first, but rather to sort of hide in the shadows until the opportune moment. Again, in the Bible, secrecy is often frowned upon. It usually implies that there's some wickedness going on behind the scenes. And so we see that uh, as a result of Ruth's actions that Boaz also has to maintain some aspect of secrecy and tells her to stay there throughout the night, if you remember, but then leave before the crack of dawn so that no one sees that she was there. So again, it's putting both of their reputations at risk by this particular council. In fact, it reminds me of the the time when I was dating Ellen. When I was in seminary, I was uh, three years ahead of her, so I graduated when she had just first come to college. We were at the same college and. Uh, during the time that we we didn't actually start dating until I left school, went to seminary, but it was always a long-dating relationship, for a long-distance relationship for three years. And uh, in order to see her, I'd probably see her about every two weeks. I tried to get as much time in as I could, so I would want to go Friday night, stay over, and then uh, spend time with her Saturday as well before I had to get back for church and and everything else and then, and that works easily most of the time i had plenty of friends it was the school where i went uh, so i had plenty of people to uh, crash on their floor or on their couch or you know whatever in that sense but a couple of times i found that my friends were all out of town and i didn't have anywhere to stay well of course in my mind, i was like well maybe i could sleep on her floor and i thought about it and i thought okay that's going to look really good <laughs> I'm a seminary student. They'll know that I'm a seminary student and that I'm representing God in some way or another, and they'll assume that I'm doing something evil. And I thought, do I really want to sneak around in the middle of the night and then get out of her dorm really early in the morning? So I decided I'm not going to do that. So instead, those couple times that I was stuck, if you will, and I didn't want to go back home, it was about two two hours back drive home, Uh, I decided I got my sleeping bag out, and there's a golf course on the college property. So, great idea. I, uh, the first night, I'd say, I slept okay, not too bad, but about 630 in the morning, lo and behold, uh, the sprinkler popped up right next to my face and started shooting me multiple times and, of course, soaking me in every which way. So, I thought, okay, next time I'll make sure I get up before 630. No problem. Well, the next time was a little bit later in the season, And uh, it was the season of mosquitoes, apparently, because uh, they just ate at me all night long. I think I stayed out there for about three hours, couldn't take it any longer, finally just slept in the car, you know, in that regard. But all of these things I did for the sake of avoiding the appearance of evil. Um, I think what Naomi is doing here, she's actually encouraging Ruth to take such a risk that would put not only her reputation at risk, but also to put Boaz's as well, not avoiding the appearance of evil, as Paul would say. So she's sending her out into the darkness alone, telling her to linger, if you will, to loiter there until the opportune time. Then six, she tells Ruth to observe the place where Boaz was going to lie down for the night. Now again, this is a very important detail. Uh, You can only imagine what would happen if she had chosen the wrong spot, and and had lined down next to the wrong man. Again, you kind of feel sorry for for Jacob in that regard. Jacob's mother was nowhere around when he uh, went into the marriage bed with Leah instead of his beloved Rachel. The next morning is when he finally realized what had happened, but by then it was too late. He had chosen the wrong spot, uh, the wrong woman. And finally, seventh, once Boaz falls asleep, Ruth was told to go and uncover his feet and to lie down next to him and wait for Boaz to tell her what to do next. Now this is the part of the council that I find to be the most outlandish given the fact that we're not told in the text that Naomi has even seen Boaz since they've been back from Bethlehem. She's going completely based upon the testimony that she's heard about his character. She really doesn't know him all that well. But yet, you'll see she's taking a huge risk. And she's putting Ruth at a great risk, lying down next to a man not knowing for sure how he's going to respond to this action. You know, On the one hand, he could uh, be offended by her boldness. And could turn her away and, and shame her, on the other hand, uh, he could easily have had her way his way with her and taken advantage of her in the midst of temptation, and, and she would have been accused of being a seductress. In fact, if you remember, it was the Moabite women who led the Israelites into idolatry and sexual immorality back in numbers chapter 25. So the women in Moab are well known for being. Uh, seductresses, if you will. And if you remember even their history, if you go back to um, to Genesis, uh, the Moabite lineage comes about as a result of Lot's older daughter waiting for her father to be full of wine and then laying down next to him. Uh, it's not a good history that the Moabites have, and now Ruth is being put in the position where she's following in the footsteps of her ancestors, if you will, How many times are the Israelites warned not to follow the same practices as the the pagans around them? In fact, Leviticus 18 is one of the weirdest chapters, I think, in the Bible. Over and over and over again, it says, don't uncover the nakedness of your brother, your uncle, your sister. It goes through all these lists. It has to be very explicit to make sure that you don't uncover the nakedness of anyone but your spouse. Very explicit, over and over and over again. And yet, Naomi here is telling Ruth to uncover the nakedness of Boaz. Well, you say, well, that's just his feet. Well, I really think that's a bad translation in the ESV. It's not his feet. It's his legs. Uh, Literally, everywhere else in the Scripture, over and over again, it refers to the legs of a person, not to their feet. And sometimes when it's using the concept of the legs, in Isaiah there's an example in which, uh, woman—it's—it's it's implying she has spread her legs, if you will. So again, it's not Naomi's not telling her to do anything with Boaz, but to put him sort of in a uh, a, a situation, if you will, uh, that that may imply one thing or another. It's left ambiguous. Uh, there is no sense of this is definitely meant for evil purposes or this is definitely meant for good purposes. We don't know Naomi's motivation behind this counsel, other than the fact that she's looking for a husband for Ruth. But this was Naomi's grand plan, uh, to find a husband for her. It seems rather risky, I think, especially given the fact that this young woman is from another country. She has no one to defend her honor, her namesake. She has no one to defend her from the men at night. Again, if you remember, just in the previous chapter, in verse 22, Naomi told Ruth to stay very close by the young women. Why? so that she would not be assaulted in another man's field. And yet now she's telling Ruth to go out in the middle of the night. If a woman can be assaulted by a man in the middle of the day, what do you think might could happen at night? But yet, again, she's willing to take this risk for the sake of the outcome. Now, again, we're not told what's going on through her mind, but... Uh, One thing we can agree on, Naomi is putting all of her trust in this man Boaz for him to be a man of integrity because if he acts inappropriately, it becomes a scandal. Ruth's reputation is ruined, so is his, and all the above. Now what's even more surprising to me is the fact that Ruth willingly carries it out. She does what her mother-in-law tells her to do, in fact, verse 5, she says, all that you say, I will do. Now, why in the world would she agree to this? Well, I don't think it's because Ruth loves Boaz. Uh, it's not that she has found a romantic interest in him yet at this point in time. Nor is it, I think, a sense of a, a, a desperateness for security, as, as Naomi has seemed to have much of her life. Now, if you listen to what Boaz says later on in the second part of the chapter, he assumes that Ruth has done this, in order to find a redeemer to redeem the household of Naomi. In other words, she's doing it out of love and loyalty for Naomi and for her namesake. And immediately, Boaz interprets her actions as being of good intentions. But notice that Ruth doesn't follow Naomi's counsel exactly. And I think here is the important difference between how the two of them are handling this Matter Certainly she followed all the initial steps. She washed, she anointed herself, she put on clothes, etc. She uh, found the right place to lay down, etc., etc. And uh, she laid down at the feet of Boaz. But notice that when he awakens and asks who she is, she not only tells him that she is Ruth, his servant, but immediately she speaks directly to him in a way that Naomi was trying to avoid. She says to him, Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. In other words, Ruth does not want her actions to be interpreted ambiguously. She does not want to hint even at the idea of lust or seduction or anything of that nature, but rather immediately proposes to him. Again, which would be unheard of in this culture for a foreign woman to approach an Israelite leader in society in this way, for a man to be approached by a woman in this way, and for this woman who is merely a servant, if you will, to make this proposition. But that's exactly what she's doing. She's basically saying, I want you to marry me. Spread your wings over me. In fact, she's using the same language that Boaz had used earlier on when uh, was uh, expressing praise over her for having sought out the Lord for refuge under his wings. Now Ruth is saying, I want to find refuge under your wings. Uh, as you are a man of God. In fact, um, the, the language, it's the same language that's used in Ezekiel chapter 16, which I'm going to refer to again later on. But Ezekiel 16, verse 8, the Lord is expressing a covenant love, a covenant marriage, if you will, between uh, he and, and, and Israel. And he says this, When I passed by you, referring to Israel, and I saw you, behold, you were at the age of love. I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Now Ruth is using that same language, saying, won't you cover my nakedness? Won't you express your faithful covenant love to me and enter into marriage with me? That's what she's asking for. And surely that's what Naomi wanted all along, but she's trying to do it sort of in a secret, crafty way. Uh, But Ruth is is making it much more of a direct approach. Now, if you look back at verse 1, Naomi makes plain her intentions in all this. So she's not wanting Ruth to indulge in any sexual thing. Uh, She says to Ruth, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Now, if you remember, Naomi had already spoken this way before back in chapter 1. When she was urging Ruth to return to Moab, for at that time she said to her uh, and to Orpah, The Lord grant that you may find rest in the house of your husband. That sounds like a, a strange expression to us, perhaps, today, but what does it mean to find rest in the house of your husband? Again, Ruth, or excuse me, Naomi is using the same covenantal language that God uses in reference to his people. Um, In fact, in Isaiah chapter 32, when the Lord is referring to that covenant love, that marital faithfulness between He and His people, He's saying to them this, My people will abide in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. So when a woman was to find a place in the home of her husband, it was meant to reflect finding rest in covenant with the Lord. Um, and if you remember, um, that is the way it's always presented. Whenever someone enters into a covenant relationship with the Lord, they finally find rest. In fact, uh, the exact opposite is is uh, stated very clearly in Psalm 95, verse 11. For the wicked, there the Lord says to the wicked, they shall never enter my rest. In fact, even in hell, uh, Revelation chapter 14, verse 11 describes this place apart from God's covenantal love as a place where people never find rest. Day or night, they can never find rest. And that's why the demons even are always referred to as restless spirits. And in the book of Job, if you remember, the devil is, is pictured as walking to and fro, back and forth, pacing across the world because he's so restless. He cannot find rest because he's not in a right relationship with the Lord. The problem is, like the demons themselves, sinners cannot find a resting place apart from Christ. And the whole concept of the marital relationship is meant to point us to that truth that none of us can find a resting place in this world apart from Christ being our husband. There's only one Redeemer who can truly grant rest to sinful people And that's what the the passage that Mark read earlier in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28-29, where Jesus says to sinners, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. He's not saying, again, keep in mind that the picture of the yoke is not one yoke, but it's a double yoke. He's with you helping you to live your life and to work as God has called you to do. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. In every Christian culture, there always is a concept of a Sabbath rest. Again, as we continue to go toward a pagan direction, we lose sight of that. But the whole point of the Lord's Day, the whole point of the Sabbath day is not only to give us a a time of rest from our normal labor, but also to remind us that there is an eternal home for us with Christ as our bridegroom, the place where he leads us into an eternal rest. It's interesting. uh, My mother-in-law has lived with with us for about three weeks now. And uh, the first night that she slept in a bed in our house, was the first night she slept for months. She could not find rest. She had lost her husband. There's something about that, something spiritual about that, I think, that leads us to understand that there is only one man in life, the perfect man, who can give us rest. Until then, we are all Restless. The good news is we don't have to work so hard to find that man. We don't have to concoct some crazy plan in order to win his favor, to win his love. We don't have to wash ourselves first. We don't have to anoint ourselves with sweet-smelling perfumes. We don't have to change our clothes and, and do all sorts of other things to spiff ourselves up before coming to Christ. In fact, we don't propose to him at all. He proposes to us. Why? Because he's the bridegroom. He's the redeemer. We're not. In fact, the way the Lord reveals himself to Israel in Ezekiel chapter 16, the rest of the passage I wanted to read to you, he shows them how he initiated a covenant of love with her, not she with him. Here's how he describes when he first met Israel, if you will. He says, your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. In other words, you are an unclean and sinful people. Your father was an Amorite, your mother was a Hittite, and as for your birth, on the day that you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. No eye pitied you to do any of these things for you out of compassion for you, but you were cast out into the open field. You were abhorred, you were hated on the day that you were born. But when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you, live. I made you flourish like a plant to the field. You grew up and you became tall and you arrived at full adornment. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you. I covered your nakedness. I made a vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Then, notice, then I bathed you with water, and washed off your blood from you, and anointed you with oil. I clothed you with embroidered cloth, and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen. I covered you with silk, and I adorned you with ornaments, and put bracelets on your wrist, a chain on your neck, and I put a ring in your nose, and earrings in your ears, and beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothing was of fine linen, Exceedingly beautiful, you advanced to royalty and your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty for it was perfected through the splendor that I myself had bestowed upon you in love, declares the Lord. You have to notice that it was the Lord who chose his bride. It was the Lord who cleansed her sin through the work on the cross. He anointed her with His Holy Spirit. He clothed her with the righteous robes of Christ Jesus. He adorned her with splendor and beauty and honor to share in His glory. He gave her His own name. He gave her His home as a place of rest. It's just as Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God shows His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet filthy and smelly and hated, the Lord loved us. He didn't wait for us to come to Him. He didn't wait for us to concoct some crazy plan to to win Him. He left His own abode more than the thousands of miles across the pond to enter into our threshing floor, to our place of lewdness and wickedness. And he was the one who proposed to us. And now the Lord calls on all preachers today like me to speak a word that can sustain the weary. That the truth of the matter is simply this, we all have wearied ourselves by the multitude of our sins. And we cannot find rest by trying to do something better, by trying to make ourselves something sweeter and more beautiful. We can't do it. We can't get our act together. All we can do is simply admit that we are weary and worn out by our sin and look to Christ alone as our Redeemer, as our Savior and the only one who can provide us Rest. It's only as we do that, as we call ourselves by His name, Christian. Take His yoke upon us, walk with Him, live with Him for the rest of our days. Why? Because He is our home. Our eternal home where we will dwell with Him in eternal rest. So the message is simply this. Come ye, all you sinners, and find rest for your souls in the Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that you have given such a great salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. You have loved us with an everlasting love. You have loved us in a way that no human ever could or ever would. We thank you, O Lord, that you have cleansed us of all of our sin, given us hope and life and rest. O oh, Father, help us never to forget who our husband is, who our lover is that we would never go in search of false redeemers and turn back to idols that can provide no rest. They are empty. They are nothing. Help us to find our rest in thee. We pray in Jesus' name.